Welcome back to the Let's Be Friends podcast. With us today is a new friend, Louis Ungent. He is the author of Return of the Dragon, The Shocking Ways Drugs and Religion Shape Peoples and Societies. With the current rise in psychedelic popularity today, his mental explorations were led to dive into the history, culture, and philosophy about these drugs becoming mainstream and what the potential downsides could be, and how they've been seen historically and how they affected individuals and societies throughout time. Welcome to the show, Lewis. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. I um, heard about you a couple months ago, my friend Dan was like, have you heard of this book, Return of the Dragon? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, uh, Louis Ungent was on Float's podcast, who's a good friend of mine. And you got to check it out, Kara. And so I hopped over, listened to the podcast episode on Float Universe, got the book, and I was like, he's got to come on my show. I've got to talk to Louis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you checked it out and I'm glad the word is getting out. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I don't um, know uh, how much you know about me, but I was on like a deep, endless exploration in the psychedelic realm for like two decades. I'm 40 now. I actually haven't done psychedelics in probably about two years. Um, Just kind of naturally quit when I went through a huge awakening in my life. I was, I don't want to get too much into my story, but I was essentially somebody who believed in God, but didn't understand what God was, was like, I can move my arm. How am I doing this? You guys, this is miraculous. Does anybody else see? How are we moving our arms? And so I just got into psychedelics, thought that's where I would find God, started searching, went to the edge, and all the way in 2021, started working as a psychic channeler because I had some pretty crazy experiences in the spirit world, seeing spirits um, in front of me, channeling naturally, um, just connecting with the spirit world and honestly not even understanding what I was doing or the depth of it, but eventually became a, a psychic channeler and, and had a like, crazy experience with Jesus at that time, which stopped me from doing that, brought me a complete non-believer who thought Christianity was all myths and Jesus was a fake, fictitious character and I want nothing to do with any of that. And it's crazy because now I'm a believer and I would say I've been saved by Jesus and I had to start questioning what I saw in the spirit world once I put the piece of the Bible into the picture because I had been searching everywhere but I wouldn't even look at the Bible and what I loved about your book is you're taking a look at how religion plays a part um, with drugs and how it's this has all been used throughout time and really the the piece that r- I really want to talk to you about is the spirits and the spirit world. What are they? What are these unknown spirits? Are they demons? Are these the fallen angels? What's going on? So let's just let's dive in. How did you how did you get interested in these topics and um, to write this book? It's funny that question you just said, who are they or what are the what are these these entities? That was like got what got me going because I heard I had done LSD and I had done mushrooms back a long, long time ago. Um, but kind of naturally quit for s- not religious reasons. It was just I I felt it was messing with my mind. I felt it was bad for me. So I just I quit and got away from it. Um but then years later, I never even heard of DMT and someone told me about DMT and they told me about some of the crazy stuff about it, like the geometry and the entities that you see and and all that. And I, for a moment, I kind of thought about it. I said, oh, that's interesting. And then I it kept coming back to me, like people kept bringing it up. I kept seeing podcasters talk about it. I kept hearing about it. And 
the whole part of the entities where they're like, oh, they're real. People are saying, oh, they're real. They're real things. And, you know, because I think most people that haven't tried psychedelics that haven't gotten into that world, I think most people just assume it's like a brain phenomenon. Like you're just, you know, yep. you're doing brain damage hallucinating. or whatever. You're doing drugs. Hallucinating, right. That's what, yeah. that's what so I thought I think for decades. Most, <laughs> most people assume that, but what struck me was people kept saying, no, they're real. Like even people that were kind of atheists would be like, actually, those are real. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole and I read some of the studies on it. And like Johns Hopkins has done a bunch of studies on it and uh, University of Wisconsin, uh, Madison has done some studies on it. Um, New York University has done studies on it. And the studies by themselves are super interesting to read because that concept that these entities are real is something like a a majority of people that do these drugs are, are saying. They're coming back and they're like, oh, it's real. And not only a majority of kind of religiously minded, spiritually minded people, a majority of atheists come back and they say these are real. You know, so yeah. people cease to be atheist at the end of, of some of these psychedelics, DMT especially. Um, so I read all that and then I was like, okay, if they are real, who are they? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's like kind of what started the whole book was like, right. if they are real, all right, what are they that we're, we're interacting with? And um, that was when I really started doing research on the book. Wow. You uh, opened Pandora's box, I guess, right? In your yes. life. And then you were like, what is going on? What's in this box? And that's how you, you, in the beginning of your book, you start talking about Pandora's box that was gifted to her from Zeus at her as a wedding gift. And she opened it and then, oh, it's too late. The curses were released yeah. into the world. And I was instantly like, oh, this is like, you know, just like all, like it's like the Greek stories, the Roman stories, all these, the Bible, like they're almost like the same story sort of repeated in different words. I'm like, this is just like Eve eating, you know, from the tree of knowledge. And you know, I think it says right in the Bible that Eve thought it was good. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, there's, there's that recurring theme kind of in all mythology of be careful about what you open up because once you open it, it might not be closable again. And that I kind of picked that illustration at the beginning of my book, because I feel like we're doing that as a society. Yeah. We're doing that right now. We're opening a box and um, my book is kind of intended to be a caution towards that. Yeah, it, and and it and it does a great job of it. Um, I I'm writing my first book right now. It's a, a memoir called "Here Comes Trouble." It's my story, um, which nice. involves yeah a lot of the psychedelic. <laughs> a lot of it is my experiences because I did DMT, I did ayahuasca, I did hundreds of, of mushroom trips. Like I, I couldn't stop. I, I I thought that's where I was finding all the answers, and I I really enjoyed it. I always had a good time in there. I thought I, you know, for probably the first uh, 18 years of doing psychedelics that I was just hallucinating and just having fun. I would do them by myself usually. Um, and I would, spirits started coming and talking to me. Voices would start coming to talk to me and they asked me questions and, uh, you know, whatever, do you, what do you want to know? Let's, you know, like care. Wow. Like, let me take you in this place and uh, show you things. And then it eventually got to the point where I, um, was seeing the spirits and they, they would, I would, what I felt was move through dimensions and they would appear in front of me and they would come and talk to me. I was seeing stuff like uh, Ganesh. I was pulling spirits out of my friend's eyes. Like Ganesh came out of my friend's eyes and I saw like all these eyeballs popping out and he took, took us to a different place. We both felt it. We're like speaking telepathically in our head, all of this stuff. And for the longest time, I thought this was just 
This is what happens when you take psychedelics. You have these fun experiences and these cartoon-like characters come and, yay, this is what I'm doing on a, a Saturday afternoon. And then one day I was talking to my boyfriend and it, he said something he, and he's, I was like, I don't really know if these experiences are real though, you know, I'm just tripping. And he's like, no, they happened to you. So they, it was like your reality in that moment. It was like, oh my gosh. I was like, something really real is going on here. And then a couple of years later, I had a huge, I had been misdiagnosed bipolar for eight years. That's another part of my story, which is interesting because I think a lot of people who are bipolar or schizophrenic are ultra sensitive. And I do think it's our sensitivities, the way God made us, that make some of us see the spirit world and some of us experience things on a deeper level. And you can be told you're sick and that you're mentally unwell and that you're crazy. And for eight years, I was told by five psychiatrists that I was bipolar found out in 2019 that I'd been misdiagnosed. Got off my pills after eight months, and I was on 20 pills a day at my height. Like, But it's still tripping, still did DMT while, and it worked while I was on these pills. But when I got off those pills, it's like I came out of uh, a frozen state and, and it woke kind of like woke up to like, whoa, like this world is not what I think. And of course, 2020 hit. A lot of people questioned reality after that. And then what happened for me, though, is I had this experience in June 2020 where I actually was getting off my final pill, my antidepressant, and I actually tried killing myself for the first time in my life. I've never had never I had suicide ideation most of my life, mental anguish, depression, anxiety, all these things, which I think is a whole other conversation about the psychedelics and the negative effects which can come from that. But um, at that night, what I did was I because I didn't die, I was like, I'm going to go to God. So I took a large dose of mushrooms and entered the spirit realm and was illuminated um, by 12 spirits that came. And I really think that that was not God, as I'm a believer in Christ now myself. I not believe that was what was meant to be. I think that was the spirit world really illuminating me and taking me deeper because what followed was I went and did ayahuasca. Mind melded with Kali Ma. Saw Kali Ma. She's a, a yeah, it was literally like seeing like, all these spirits. And then after that, got even deeper into the occult, started practicing magic on purpose, opening circles with other people, calling in spirits, mind melding, astral projecting. I would be possessed at times. I was not a believer, so I don't feel like I was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, again, my my personal beliefs. But I would literally, I know what it's like to have a spirit come inside your body. I know it's real. I know what it's like to astral project and come together with something else. I know what it's like to call these spirits in, find their frequencies, bring them in, see hieroglyphics flash in front of your face, come out of it on the other side, more expanded in the psychedelic realm. I saw what happens when you go really deep on these things. And I started going crazy. I got really mentally unwell. I got extremely lost. I, um, you said right here, when you were taking drugs, you say I tripped several times. And after that, taking LSD and mescaline on various occasions, but soon I found I didn't like the effect it had on me. I felt as though I was drawing me away from my reality, pulling me out of this world and making me feel less grounded. And that that is exactly what started happening to me. Wow, that is a that's a crazy story. I didn't know all that about you, but that is amazing. <laughs> and it's interesting what one of the chapters in my book is just talking about the whole psychedelic experience, what is going on when we do it. Um, and I talk a little bit about the fact that there is overlap between it kind of exactly what you said, where whether it's sensitivity or whatever, between people that have bipolar or have schizophrenia and people that are doing psychedelics. And there is that interesting overlap. And I do think it it may have 
to do with the brain chemistry as a whole. Um, and one of the illustrations I use in my book, so I think what a lot of atheists will say is, well, brain chemistry, your brain, you know, you take the drug, your brain chemistry changes, and therefore everything you see is a hallucination. Um, but the thing I talk about, the illustration I use in my book to kind of answer that is um, that's really just a mechanism. You're just talking about a mechanism for changing the way that you perceive the world around us. Um, and we do that with, if you have bad earwax and you can't hear things, you put earwax medicine in and all of a sudden you hear additional things saying those additional things are hallucinations because you use medicine to be able to hear those additional things is crazy. Of course, it's nonsense. Like it's, you're actually hearing real things. Or if you have eye drop medicine and all of a sudden you can see better because you took eye drop medicine, um, the additional things you see are not hallucinations because you know the mechanism behind seeing them. And I think in the same way, when you take drugs or theoretically have a mental issue or whatever, and all of a sudden you can see additional things that other people can't see, does not in any way mean that it's not a real experience. It just means we know the mechanism behind having that experience, which is a very different thing than answering the question whether it's real or not. And the question of whether it's real, I think, number one, it's hard. I always find it crazy when people trust, when when people refuse to trust sane and honest people, trustworthy people, when they tell them of their true experiences, right? So when yeah. um, I in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis has that story where uh, Lucy goes to the wardrobe and she comes out and she tells them about it. And the professor, they go to tell the professor that Lucy's like going crazy or something. And the professor says, um, is she normally lie? Does she normally crazy? Is she normally, or is she a trustworthy, insane person? They say, well, normally she's trustworthy, insane. He's like, why do you not believe them on their, why, why do you not believe her on her experience? And I feel the same way with um, these experiences with drugs, whereas people come back and even if they're atheists, you know, even if they're not someone prone to do this, they come back and they say, those were real entities. Those were real things I saw. And I think it's a wild take to say all those people are lying or all those people are crazy or all those people are wrong. Um, I think it's just, there's a lot of hubris there, especially when people that have that attitude that all those people are wrong and then they try it, they come back and they say, actually, it was real. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, I I feel like um, for me, I was satisfied that the whole experience was real and it wasn't just a brain phenomenon. Yeah. I, the first time I ever did mushrooms, I was in college and I went into my, I was hanging out with some friends in my apartment and I went into my room and my room had turned into the closet to, in the line, which in the wardrobe. And I saw Mr. Tomness in there and I came running out and I was like, oh, telling everybody, my room has turned into the closet to Narnia and Mr. Tomness is in there. And it's just so interesting that you just brought that up about the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Cause I just kind of always wondered why did I trip about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe the first time. That, that, that's, oh, that's wild. that's wild. Oh, Spirit World is so crafty. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. 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 yeah it, it, and there's so many times when experiences, one of the interesting things about the DMT studies is they talk about the fact that people are able to communicate with each other telepathically when they take these drugs. And people are able to, like you said, astral projection, which for people that don't know, that's like leaving your body. People are able to leave their body and see things outside yeah. of their body. Um, and one example I gave in my book, 
a guy um, hallucinated, quote unquote, hallucinated um, at like a jester character while he was on DMT. And his roommate that was completely sober saw that same character in the morning and was like freaked out by it. So there's a lot of things that trying to explain naturally yeah. is, just doesn't work. And and there's clearly more than that going on. Yeah. And, and actually what ended up started happening was the, I think, because I went so deep um, when I started practicing magic purposefully doing these things as I started having experiences off the psychedelics too, where I was seeing orbs in my room and shadow figures. I mean, I would channel without um, psychedelics and telepathy easy without psychedelics. I mean, it's crazy. I don't understand. One thing I've, I was like, God, why, why did, did you make me this way to be? Cause I wasn't searching for this. I wasn't trying to practice magic or trying to see spirits. They just started showing themselves to me. And I mean, it's kind of fu- interesting. Like people don't like to hear about this, but yoga literally is a Hindi practice that yokes you to Hindi gods. It's a devotional practice where you're doing, you know, you're saying things in Sanskrit and you're you're doing mudras and poses that worship these spirits, which may be the fallen angels. And then at the end of the practice, you lay in Shavasana corpse pose is just totally open, open vessel. And then who knows what kind of strongholds or thoughts come into your mind, but I was a devout yogi for about two years when I was deep doing psychedelics. And that literally was when I first saw Ganesh. And Ganesh was the first spirit to show up in front of me and take form. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, looking back now, I'm like, oh, my gosh, yoga does yoke you to the Hindi gods. Because, like, that was the first lowercase god that I saw. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's wild. Like, yeah. it's, it's very real. Um, but Yeah. The, the thing that I was going to say on that is that... Um, in that book, in the chapter, I think it's chapter four that I talk about the ex- drug experience. I talk about the fact, in addition to mental issues that have close parallels, also through meditation and Eastern mysticism, there's also close parallels. So um, a lot of those methods, whether combined with drugs or not, are designed to help you to see into that spirit world. And people don't realize, they think yoga is just like stretching yeah. or whatever. And like, they, they don't realize that a lot of those methods were actually designed for that purpose. They were designed to bring people into um, the other dimension. Yeah. And the Beatles played a great role in, you know, bringing yoga to the strip malls here in America where we've got women just like me and their yoga pants going to their class. And stretching is amazing. Stretching is wonderful. Yeah. But it's when you place that other practice on top of it. And it's just and that's really what's going on, I think, even with psychedelics and the counterculture movement. And I love that you brought up the counterculture movement in your book because you know it's it's we have to look at like why are these drugs suddenly becoming kind of legalized and popular and like put into culture but for the longest time and you take a great look throughout history what were these psychedelics doing to the cultures and the groups that use them like what were their fruits you know after they did this and do you want to talk go a little bit into that yeah so um one of the one of the things I talk about in my book is the fact that within the history of the world, so I do a quick whirlwind history of the world, but within the history of the world, the use of drugs for spiritual purposes. So the use of drugs, exactly how you use them, where you're um, encountering entities, you're sometimes mixing it with magic, mixing it with um, spiritual practices. That was the norm. People think that we discovered this in the 1960s through the Beatles or whatever. Maria it was the Sabina. norm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Through, throughout history, that was the norm. Um, and I go through, talk about the ancient Near East. I talk about ancient Mesoamerica, even into uh, Northern Europe and into China. 
Um, that was a, a very typical practice. And um, one of the big promises that people have with psychedelics, and you'll hear Joe Rogan talk about this, and you'll hear Graham Hancock talk about this. Um, one of the big promises is that you become enlightened when you do these drugs that, you know, Graham Hancock had this line where he said, I wish we could make every politician take ayahuasca because it would make the world so much better. Put it in the it drinking be, water. <laughs> it should be a requirement, right? And as I did this like world history, the thing that I noticed was the societies doing these drugs were the opposite of enlightened. Um, they were the their exact opposite of an enlightened society. They were slave societies. They were at constant war. There was a lot of times incredible tyranny, um, just very brutal societies. But then on top of that, um, they practiced human sacrifice. Um, so almost that's the crazy thing that people don't realize is that almost every society in ancient history practiced human sacrifice. Um, they did it in, in the, the tribes that the Bible, biblical writers, the Israelites were interacting with. They were practicing human sacrifice. You see that warning over and over again, not to do human sacrifice. The Northern Europeans, like the Nordic tribes, the Anglo-Saxon tribes, the Icelandic tribes, the Vikings, et cetera, they were all doing human sacrifice. You go to Mesoamerica, pre-Columbian America, and the Inca and the Aztecs and the Maya, they were incredible levels of, of human sacrifice, industrial levels, almost you know, going out and starting wars just so they could have more people to sacrifice. Um, and these are people that were many of them doing psychedelics. So like when you look at this idea of like psychedelics will enlighten and you say, well, it sure doesn't seem to have enlightened some of these societies or any of these societies really. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it seems like there's a darkening effect um, as people kind of give their society over to um, the psychedelics, which, and I don't know if you want to jump into this, which is interestingly exactly what the Bible says it will do. Yeah, no, I, it, for like, I, I have a degree in literary interpretation and I literally avoided the Bible. I wasn't going to read it. I wasn't going to study it. I stayed away from, I couldn't even say the name Jesus Christ comfortably. And these are things that really convicted me when, I mean, I was literally working as a psychic channeler and I got this vision of Jesus for my client. And I was like, oh man, Jesus is here. He's got the sandals. It's this guy. I don't even believe him. And what's he doing? Must be the ascended master. Or I don't know. Uh, and But something happened to me very supernatural. And that's why I have a book coming out about it. Because I don't really know how to describe it. But I just like started having these experiences because I didn't think the guy had lived. I didn't think Jesus had lived. So he couldn't have been sacrificed. He couldn't have been God in the flesh. He couldn't have done anything for me. He couldn't be the way to God. But what started happening to me is that I just, I became so convicted. I was just crying and like my sensitivity levels to the spirit world was all of a sudden like God was like, no, this is Jesus. And he died for you. And it was just crazy. Like I had never read the Bible and I became a believer in Jesus through this ex way that God met me where I was at. But then it led me to reading the Bible. And that was when the conviction really came into me. And I started reading 
all throughout time how magic was practiced. And I was a victim of pharmacia. The pharmacia as in pharmacy, where you take the pills. And I got it controlled my mind. And I started when I woke up in 2020 and started seeing what was going on in this world that, oh my gosh, we've been indoctrinated in school. Oh my gosh, then like I don't think they're telling me a straight story on the news or whatever. Things aren't what they seem here. And there's evil and it's rampant. And I never believed in evil before. I never believed in Satan. I laughed at the cotton. People aren't Satanists. Like, ha ha, if Jesus isn't real, then Satan's not real. But then when I had this awakening and I had my Jesus experience, I started reading the Bible. I started getting all the answers. It was like a, the corner pieces to the puzzle I'd been putting together my whole life. And you're right. Throughout the Bible, there's been sacrifice. And I started seeing that like all these gods, these unknown gods took sacrifice. That's the difference with Jesus. He came to make payment for us to, to, to be our sacrifice. But every other God out there needed you to give sacrifice somehow. And I almost started seeing that I was sacrificing myself by being a because I was a medium. I was used by spirit world. I mean, I saw Quetzalcoatl. I would come in. I would bring in energies for these spirits. I saw rainbows and stuff come in. Like all these crazy experiences that I had, I knew the spirit world was real. Because I, for me, and my, you know, it's not something I can go tell someone else. It's absolutely real. I know it because I experienced it. But that, and then bringing the Bible in and reading throughout time what had been going on with these unknown gods. And I just am finishing the Old Testament. And like Moses' final warning to everyone is like, do not worship these I like to say lowercase gods. They are unknown, not just to you, and but to your ancestors, maybe even, which brought me to the idea of egregores, which is probably another conversation here. But it just, I just was like, oh my gosh, like there's a pro, there's something's wrong here with all these spirits out here, these spirit guides. And when then I started thinking about truth, there can only be like one truth. Otherwise, this truth cancels out this truth, or this God cancels out this God. So I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is the like bouncer to God to truth. Yeah. The, the part about the Bible that is a little confusing for a lot of people, because um, what I've known and I, I, to this day, know Christians that think there's nothing wrong with Christians doing psychedelics. And um, I think the reason some Christians are able to kind of justify that is because they're reading the English translation of the Bible, which I, you know, I, I did study um, Koine Greek, which is the language the New Testament was written in. Um, and I, you know, I know it a little bit, but I normally read in the English translation as well. And most people read in the English translation. Um, and if you just Google the English translation, you just do a search on Bible Gateway or whatever for English translation, and you look up the word drugs, it doesn't show up right? It doesn't, there's nowhere it shows up. So you could say as a Christian reading an English speaking Christian reading the Bible, you could say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about drugs. It doesn't, you know, maybe whatever warnings there are against too much drinking, too much wine, maybe apply to drugs. Right. But that misses something giant. Right. And I, you mentioned it slightly here and, and I go in depth in my book, but the English translation misses something that the original had, right? So the Bible, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there was a Koine Greek translation of the Old Testament that Jesus and the apostles mostly quote from. So it was very popular in the first century. So it's called the Septuagint. So the Septuagint written in Greek, New Testament written in Greek. Um, If you look up the word for drugs in Koine Greek, 
the word you mentioned it, pharmakai or pharmakia. Mm -hmm. And um, pharmakia is, it means to use drugs for magical or spiritual purposes. Um, And that word is all over the Bible, right? That word, so the English translation misses it because the English translation usually just uses the word sorcery or witchcraft um, instead of that. But once you realize that within that word is not just witchcraft, but the use of drugs for witchcraft, the use of drugs for those spiritual purposes, once you realize that it changes has to change for every Christian has to change their perspective on what the Bible says about these things. And once you realize that the warnings in the Bible are insane against uh, pharmacia. I mean, just old, old Testament Septuagint um, says, I do not allow, or do not allow the person that practices drugs for spiritual purposes to live. Um, There's warnings of like, don't practice drugs for spiritual purposes and sacrifice your children in the fire. Like those two things go together. You know, like there's this idea of human sacrifice and drugs for spiritual purposes go together. But one of the things that I touched on earlier, and we kind of were talking about these anxious societies, like how did they get like industrial levels of human sacrifice? One of the things that it talks about in Nahum chapter three and also Revelation chapter 18 is it says um, drugs for spiritual purposes will lead whole nations astray. So the, the word pharmakia will lead whole nations astray. And I think that's where you the warnings of the Bible are, are kind of saying, hey, if you at a especially at a cultural level, if you just widely embrace drugs for spiritual purposes, um you'll go way off the rails. You know, you'll go way out of, of where you should be. And that's the interesting thing about the Bible is like, I think people need to, every time you see the word sorcery, it <laughs> almost always means pharmakia or it's almost always a translation of pharmakia. Yeah, I love that you just brought all of that up because I wanted to talk to you about that because the Old Testament written in Hebrew and then the Koine Greek for the New Testament and then pharmakia, witchcraft, sorcery, divination. It's very clear. And you just were quoting Exodus twenty two eighteen that those who practice pharmakia are not worthy of life. And then we've got um, just Deuteronomy eighteen ten. let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, t- interprets omens, engages in witchcrafts. And actually that Deuteronomy verse was like, bomb that just hit me because I, I was working as a channeler and then had this experience and then came across Deuteronomy and I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And it's forgive them, Father, they don't know what they do. I didn't grow up with anybody talking to me about God or the Bible or Christianity or anything in that area. I was just navigating this world, like maybe a lot of people that just kind of trying to figure things out. But when you see the warnings in the Bible, it's 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 convicting. And when you see what's going on, on in our world today, it feels very biblical. It does feel like there's a spiritual battle going on here that's bigger than what meets the eye. And the I'm very into trying to understand mind programming. And I really think that mind programming has a lot to do with witchcraft. I mean, it's crazy. I saw how asleep I was and I can't even, I could go on and on about all the different ways. It doesn't really matter. I wasn't seeing this world as that really was. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I really, I think it's very convicting what the Bible says. And and it's, I like that you also brought up, too, that some Christians will say it's okay, and some say it don't. And that's something I've noticed. I do consider myself a Christian now, which literally is the last thing I ever would have said about myself. Like, 
John 10, 9, Jesus was the last door I looked through. But I have discovered there's so many different beliefs in Christianity. There's so many different types of beliefs. It's hard to even just say Christian and it's not a blanket term for everybody. So all everybody's seeing things a little bit differently. But when you take it to the root, like you bring up with this Conan Greek, the way it was actually written, and you see what pharmacia is. And like you said, in Revelation, it says that this can nations that use pharmacia can bring them down completely. You just you really have to wonder what's going on right now. Why are they being po- psychedelics being popularized right now? And um, you know what we do need to you know look back and look at these you know civilizations throughout time and what they were doing with it and and this que- endless quest for enlightenment you know that people are on now. And you have a great quote in your book about this. You say, and this is one of the more interesting things about pharmacia. People claim to be enlightened by the experiences, but when you ask them what they learned, you get the saccharine. How do I say that? Saccharine. I I was nervous earlier. I should. I was like, I'm gonna. This is me in pronunciation. (laughs) Saccharine cliches about the one self, everything, and how we need to love everyone. Not exactly enlightening. And that is so true. You people say, "Oh, it's all oneness," and I felt that. I left my body when I did DMT. I went. I did the whole thing. I blasted off. I went all the way. Not a surprise. I tried hitting less DMT than I was supposed to because I knew how sensitive I was. I was like, I don't really want to have that experience. Still had it. Still had an entity talk to me. Left my body. Became oneness. Um, all of that. And the thing is, is two decades I did psychedelics regularly. And I believe me personally, there was one thing I needed to know about, and that was Jesus. Like, look, that's just what I believe. And did the spirit realm ever know Buddha would appear in front of me, talk to me about anything I wanted, show me amazing things, how he could become the wind and the tree and all, and talk to me anywhere and be everywhere at once, answer any questions. Never told me what I really needed to know. And you have to, when you look at the fruits of the enlightened people or the enlightened civilizations, you even say this do they do more charity work? No. Are their marriages better? No. Like, well, you, yeah. How, how exactly is it enlightening them, right? Like, is yeah. it better morality or whatever? And, you know, the, the, I gave one example of like a family member I had went and literally lived in the mountains with a bunch of hippies and <laughs> talked about just how south it went. Like, it just went horribly south. And you would think, here's all these people like Graham Hancock, they're doing the drugs, they're doing, yeah. you know, in theory, they should all be enlightened and it should be this peaceful commune. But, um, it doesn't work out that way. And um, yeah, it doesn't, the the offering is always this moral superiority, but it the reality falls way, way short of that in in from any outside perspective, other than in the person's own head. Yeah. Working on my memoir and finishing it up, I've been going back in my life like, okay, when did I start taking psychedelics? Okay, when did my depression happen? When did I go to rehab? When did I have my first panic attack? When did I get on my first anxiety pill? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's kind of crazy. It all sort of started happening after I started opening myself up to the spirit world like that. And as I mentioned, I was misdiagnosed diagnosed bipolar. I had major anxiety problems, major depression, constant suicide ideations. I had voices in my head telling me horrible things. Kill yourself, light the house on fire, all all this awful stuff. And I really believe that that was a lot of that was consequences from the spirit world for me opening myself up to them and with my free will, letting them in. And I love to just simply use the example of my anger problem that I used to have. It was bad. It was horrible. And 
the pills never made it better. Nothing ever made it better. I did everything. I went to rehab. I did group counseling. I did dialectic behavioral therapy. I did pills. I did all the psychedelics, ayahuasca, everything. Did any of that fix me? No. Literally starting to read the Bible and just simply seeing what does God say about anger? Oh, he tells me a fool rushes to anger. He tells me a wise man overlooks offenses. And it's almost like that's the programming that breaks the stronghold is by what did God want for us? Not what the spirit world was going to do for me. I actually think the spirit world was creating strongholds in my mind. And at times, these demonic energies and unknown spirits literally coming inside my body using my vessel, because I don't believe the fallen ones or the spirit world has vessels. I believe it's energy. I never saw a physical alien or demon or anything. It was always energy shape-shifting. When you tie all of this thinking of these strongholds in the mind and programmings, I start thinking of demons, and then I take that to daemon computing, which ties it into computers and AI, and then all of this vessels, and even the hydra, which you bring up in your book, you start wondering, is the spirit world using psychedelics? Is the spirit world using all the stuff to start strongholding in our minds because it really is trying to take this place over and needs hosts us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, a very interesting thing. I'm actually <laughs> working on, on my website. Uh, I'm working on kind of working through what might be my next book, which is exactly on uh, AI and um, on technology and the weird spiritual roots behind a lot of that um a lot of people don't realize that um many of silicon valley tech gurus got a lot of their insights by doing lsd by doing they give a lot of the credits to eastern mysticism um you look at um, steve jobs for example did lsd did eastern mysticism credited those with a lot of his success Uh, even bill gates it seems like the biggest stiff in the world he says that he did lsd oh, and that really? it was beneficial to him yes so like um i don't you, know why i have to laugh like, at that i know yeah it's funny like see <laughs> but don't, uh, i definitely don't want yeah. to do psychedelics with bill gates no thanks yeah. <laughs> it's a bad trip but it, it was i mean it was a major part of silicon valley and still is like there's still um tech companies that microdose as part of their work that they do together um, there's a lot of the people at the upper levels of, of the uh, tech companies that still do. So there's a weird history there um, that is absolutely true. And in terms of what like the demons are trying to get at or what these entities, let's say they're demons or whatever yeah. they are. Unknown that, spirits, probably unknown demons, spirits, probably yeah, the fallen that, ones. <laughs> let's say they hate humanity and they're trying to destroy us. Um, well, I mean, they're, they're just like you said, using us or using anyone that's willing to interface with them to do horrific things. And and they're only restrained by God, ultimately. That's the only restriction that there is. And and it it can go down, as we saw with Muscle America, it can go down very dark roads. um, And it can, there's no reason why it couldn't do that again. Um, What they're doing with technology and what they're doing with with science and, and all that stuff. I don't know exactly. I do know that it's, if, if you saw I, the illustration I used in one of the things I wrote on this was if you were kind of in the 1980s and the Soviets snuck into America and you saw they were all buying digging equipment, you would wonder why they're all buying digging <laughs> equipment. It doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that the digging equipment is bad, yeah. but you'd be curious, like what's going on here. Yeah. And I feel that way with technology where it seems like, a lot of the people that are heavily influenced by 
psychedelic drugs and heavily influenced by Eastern mysticism are also really pushing some of uh, the tech development, AI, et cetera. Yeah. No, I just, it's, it, I really was like thinking about the word demon and I was like, wait, daemon, daemon computer. Demon is, you know, something that works in the background and kind of controls something. It was the same way a daemon compute, you know, server software works on a computer, running it from the background. And I just, I have a good, one of my best friends, Nick Hinton, um, has written some books about this and talks a lot about AI and just uh, the Tesseract and the black in the cube and just um, kind of like how it, this technology needs a vessel to, to work in. And I just started like kind of thinking, I'm like, we're vessels too. And like got, you know, it, it says, you know, I think like in the, that the spirits and stuff were jealous of humans, you know, like God created us in his image and we have the body, we have our, our soul and mind and we have our spirit. And then you think about something went on where Satan got cast out. I don't know exactly what he did, but he got in trouble. He got cast out. And I think a third of the angels went with him. I've heard. And again, I haven't finished the whole Bible. I'm not trying to like say I'm a teacher of it or anything. I'm just a very curious person who likes to share. Um, but I started thinking like my taking a look at this concept of these fallen angels that got cast out there maybe don't have bodies like we do. And then I start thinking about my experiences in the spirit world. All the spirits I saw were energy. They'd come in, they come inside you, talk inside your head, come into your body. And like, even when I would see spirits, cause I would started pulling them out of people without even realizing what I was doing. Like it's so it's dangerous. I never studied magic. Never, never studied, never even knew, didn't even know who Alistair Crawley was until like a couple of years ago, found out I was doing things like he did when he, brought that lamb through like I've seen one of those gray beings come out it always is an energy and I just am like they need vessels and you people like to talk about NPCs or like people that are kind of like don't see what's going on and I thought about okay when I was on those medications I was kind of like an empty vessel what was running me what was running me all this time and I'm just like I think the spirit world is literally just trying to to use us as hosts yeah. Um, it's interesting in the, the story of Adam and Eve. So if you think about that story, they, they are put in this garden. They're one with God. So they're connected with God. God walks through the garden with them. They're interacting with him. And then Eve sees the serpent. The serpent says, hey, eat this and you'll get knowledge. You'll, your mind will be transformed. You'll get knowledge and you will um, be like a god. So she eats it, Adam eats it, and then God casts them out of the garden, and he puts angels there to protect the garden so that they can't enter back in. And as I was writing this book, that's one of, I didn't talk about this in the book, but it's one of the things I kind of thought of is that that may we, we look at that as a punishment, but it also may have been a blessing from God to protect them from re-entering that world. And I feel like our brains are have something in them so that we can't see into the spiritual world. We can't see these entities most of the time. We we are protected. And so there's like something wonderfully wonderful about just people say go out and touch grass. Like there's something wonderful about just not being in that, that weird spiritual world and just dealing with the nuts and bolts of everything that's around us. Um, and there's um, there's some beauty there that I think God puts those protections in place for us, like those angels, you know, protecting the garden. I think those protections are in our brains. 
And I think drugs tear that down. And I think some of Eastern methods of, of spiritualism tear that down. And it's like trying to get back into that garden. Um, but that's not the way it's supposed to work. And one of the interesting things about Christianity, um, if you think about it, so most religions are trying to get into the spirit world, right? So most are trying to figure out, you know, Eastern religions, uh, Mesoamerican religions, you take drugs or you pra practice breathing or whatever, and you get into that spirit world. Within Christianity, it's an interesting reversal of that, where God becomes human yeah. and steps into our world, right? Yeah, so yeah. rather than us trying to get into that world, he steps into our world. And it is, it's a, a strange switch of yeah. kind of every other religion that's out there. Um, where we're encouraged to, hey, I've given you this world. This world's good. I'm going to join you in this world. Wow. You just, that's, I just got chills all in my head just when you said that, thinking about God coming and entering our world. That's, wow. Yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 you, yeah, I don't think we were told to not eat from that tree and instantly Eve did. And and I've been thinking about that lately too, because it's so so funny too how everybody's like, oh, it was an apple. It's like, no, it was never an apple in the garden. It was fruit. And, and, and there's all sorts of stuff in the Bible about fruits and look at the fruits. And God also says the word is supposed to, if you know, God, Jesus tells Satan, man alone cannot survive on bread. He had, you know, we have the word we have, um, that is our food, like our the manna. Um, but when Eve, you know, that uh, that situation in the garden when the serpent came and then Eve, you know, she ate from the tree of knowledge, you'd kind of wonder, was she then leaning on her own understanding? Was she then leaning on like her way of seeing these or her enlightenment of like the world, which is exactly kind of what people are doing right now uh, as we're doing the psychedelics and everything. And, and, I, and I've also heard people say like, what did Eve eat psychedelics in the garden? I'm not sure what they can base that on. It's a very interesting thought. I don't know if you had any, if you've ever thought about that or. Yeah, I, I hinted at that in my book. So like I talk, I, I, I talk right at the end of my book, I say, Hey, the purpose of my book is not to argue that Eve was, a was literal or not. Maybe she was, maybe she was, that's not the point of the book, but the point, point of the book is that it is possible from everything I the book researches, everything it touches on, it is possible to consume something that, you know, to interact with serpent entities or interact with entities, consume something that brings trouble and difficulty into this world, um, and then separate you from where you're supposed to be, separate you from all that's good and all that's holy. Um, and then I say, well, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not may also not making the case that Eve consumes a psychedelic, although it could have been like who knows what it was. It, it could have been, and the the warnings in the Bible against psychedelics wouldn't be inconsistent with that, right? Like there's there's warnings after warning after warning after warning, and so why why is that inconsistent? It's, it's very possible that it was that that entered into you know you think of. Um, the idea of like humanity having a sin nature, or humanity being prone to do wrong, right? That's something that Christianity talks about as well, prone to do wrong. Um, well, if, if at that moment demons were welcomed in or, or negative entities were welcomed into the world, 
that may be one of the reasons we're prone to do wrong. That's one of the reasons we're kind of like left to our own devices. We always end up screwing things up and being cruel and doing horrible yeah. things to each other um, is because at some point in time, we welcomed that in. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, we're just trying to love everybody and do good and coexist and all that stuff that came out of the counterculture movement. Um, yeah. So you talk a lot about like the serpents and the symbolism of the serpent and how the serpent has been seen throughout time. And you even bring it up in ayahuasca. And I, you know, I did ayahuasca. And what I literally felt when I did it was this vine moving through me. And that's very much like a serpent. And uh, I, I think that there's something very significant about that and even just like the concept of oneness would be like a vine connecting or a serpent connecting everybody and what if this like what do you think like about the serpent and what have you kind of discovered about the serpent um in regards to psychedelics yeah so i have a chapter that's called the serpent of the sacrifice as chapter six i believe and it goes through how pervasive the serpent god is in ancient religions Whereas literally every religion had yeah. a serpent. Yeah, like every single one had a serpent. And maybe not literally, but almost every Pretty single much. one yeah. had a serpent entity. And um, I talk about the the weird parallel between that and whether it's DMT or LSD, where people over and over again say they see serpent entities. Um, Graham Hancock, I quote him. And let's see if I can find the quote real quick. But he... Um, he said uh, something along the lines of, uh, I have seen serpent entities many times as I did ayahuasca. He said, Mother Ayahuasca herself, who I've interacted with many times, comes in the form of a, a woman or a serpent or a woman-serpent hybrid. And that's not an exact quote. I couldn't yeah. find it while I was thinking there. But like basically something along those lines. And um it's an incredibly interesting thing that we've got these ancient religions that all had serpent entities. And that's one of the most common themes that people see while doing psychedelics. And I don't think you can just disconnect those, especially when you look at like the, the Bible's warnings against pharmacia and specifically, you know, interacting with tribes that were worshiping, for example, Baal, who was a serpent entity or Ashra, who's a serpent entity, they brought there. Those those are some of the guys that are brought up in the ancient world. Those are serpent entities, and at the same time, they're criticizing pharmacia, and at the same time, they're criticizing human sacrifice. And it's a weird kind of three points that come up over and over again of serpent entities, drugs for spiritual purposes, and human sacrifice. And once you re- see that theme in the history of the world it never stops. Like it doesn't, you know, you see it in almost every culture. It comes up over and over again. Um, Aztecs were a great example of Quetzalcoatl and they've got, which is a serpent, feathered serpent, and then (laughs) massive human sacrifice. And it's really interesting. I didn't include this chapter in my book, but it's on my website, but I went through some of the quotes um, about what the Spanish saw when they showed up to meet with the, the Aztecs um with regards to mushrooms where they would take the mushrooms that often they would call the dragon they had like the green dragon or whatever they called the dragon they'd take the mushrooms and then they'd um get incredibly violent and they'd want to go practice cannibalism or or practice human sacrifice and so it was like the there was 
a clear link between those things um, that that we saw. And the point I, I included that chapter not to say, and people will push back on this and they'll say, well, I did drugs and I never wanted to kill a baby or whatever. Like I never, it was never crossed my mind to go kill somebody. And my point is not necessarily that it will lead to murder, although I think there's been plenty of drug-fueled murders out there, oh, right? Yeah. But not necessarily Charles that will lead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily that will lead to murder, although maybe. But my point was is that it speaks to the nature of these entities, right? So a lot of people, Graham Hancock or whatever, will just assume a spiritual encounter is a good encounter right they'll assume that hey if i had a spiritual experience man that's and everybody says oh that was that's such a good thing that you had a spiritual experience but like the right next question is okay what spirit and like you asked that at the beginning like what spirit right so and i think that's why i included that chapter is like at least some of these spirits if not all of these spirits at least some of these spirits are the opposite of human loving, right? Like you don't encourage, if you're a serpent entity and I'm encouraging the Aztecs to kill 250,000 people a year, um, little kids getting their hearts ripped out, blood dripping down the steps. Like I don't do that because I care about the well-being of humans. Yeah. Right. You know, so I think it speaks to the nature of those entities. And then I think at, toward the end of the book, I touched on this, but I think, you need to then question all the advice you get from your spiritual experiences, right? Like, so, you know, people in the Johns Hopkins study, um, Michael Pollan, who wrote a book on this, um, interviewed some of the people from the Johns Hopkins study and got their insights, right? And some of them were like really mundane, typical insights. So people would be like, well, I decided I just need to live in the moment. Yeah, I decided I needed (laughs) to have less of a, a filter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then some were like bigger choices. Like some people, one guy said, I need to quit my job and become a Zen Buddhist monk or Zen Buddhist teacher. And then another woman said, I needed to divorce my husband. I got the insight that I needed to divorce my husband. And what I touched on in the book is like taking that serpent story in mind, realizing that not all spirits are good. And maybe all the spirits are bad. Maybe they're all human hating. Maybe everything you see while on pharmacy, um, no matter how nice they seem, maybe they're not nice. And when you think just with that little bit of a critical lens and you say now a very tricky, mean, human hating entity said, hey, why don't you divorce your husband? Well, all of a sudden that advice becomes the the one thing you shouldn't do in that moment, right? Like that, or, you know, how about you quit your job? Yeah. You know, maybe that's, that's life destroying advice that that entity gave you and people have no filter. They do, they do these drugs and they get this spiritual experience and they say, well, the the spirits told me to quit my job or the spirits told me to divorce my husband or the spirits told me to live in the moment, even live in the moment could be, a dangerous advice, right? Like living in the moment sometimes is a good thing, but also sometimes you need to be forward thinking. Sometimes you need to save your money. Sometimes you need to be thinking 10 steps ahead. Maybe there's danger on the horizon. So even something that's as basic as live in the moment, if it's coming from someone that hates you, you might want to rethink 
whether yeah. or not you listen to that advice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, that, cause you know, I, I got like when I first like had Jesus come into my life and I got kind of, you know, I have this podcast and I like gave my testimony and it kind of went viral and all these people are listening to me. And I was like, yeah, the spirit world's de- demons and it's all demonic. And I was being like real, ha, but now I'm kind of like, wait, I'm just going to go ahead and say, these are unknown spirits. I'm, pro- I'm falling. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain they're not good and that they're human hating because my own experiences with them as what, and people will always, some people will say, Oh, sorry, you had bad trips, Kara. Sorry. I know I had fantastic trips. I loved doing it. I had a great time. I was never afraid. That's the problem. I sat right. I, I let these spirits into my body and literally maneuver my v- my vessel. When I came back from doing my ayahuasca uh, trip, I couldn't talk on the phone for a week or really to anybody. I sat at my computer and wrote like this huge chunky chapter for my book about how fantastic ayahuasca was and all of the thoughts that they had given me and stuff. I have scrapped that at this point and rewritten the chapter and calling it ayahuasca working and talking about the danger of doing these things and allowing these spirits into your body. And also when you read, I think it's in the return of the unclean spirit. Um, it's talked about in the Bible when, you know, a house is swept out, essentially, let's say someone does ayahuasca and all the demons leave you, or you do psychedelics, all the demons leave you or whatever method it is. And they, they're out of you. Oh, they're cast out deliverance, whatever. Now you're empty. Yay. You feel great. But watch out, because seven more spirits are probably going to return even worse than before. And so will the wicked generation that's to come, which is probably this end time stuff. Um, you know, when the horror Babylon system is here and all this end times revelation stuff, you know, plays out. It's like that is coming from, you know, the this, this spirit world and these darker spirits that people might be letting in because the spirit world's going to make you feel really good. They're going to like, oh, yeah, you're empowered. Speak your mind and and be a feminist and do this. And and you also take I also started learning about like the counterculture movement and even like looking at who Alice Bailey was, who was one of the, the women who helped kind of found the sort of new age kind of which is just the new age is nothing new. It's old occult practices just kind of rebranded and repackaged for today. But she had all these points about. 10 points to basically destroy the family unit, to debase art, to make women like be these feminists who don't want kids and are da da da. And and it's all against the kind of Christian morals and the way to live, which God was telling us because I believe he he loved us and maybe he, he knows better. Well, I took a look at myself and I'm, you know, 40 years old. I've been with my boyfriend for 10 years. We didn't get married because I didn't want to. We didn't have kids because I wasn't going to do that. And I, I was uh, taking the pills because the antidepressant's going to make me happier and all these things. And I was a mess. And that was all the stuff that the spirit world had guided me to do. And then you kind of like even take it. And this might be a weird place to take it. But when it comes to sacrifice and the way women are today, even being on birth control, you are, you're not directly sacrificing, but you're not allowing yourself to have that baby. That egg is not working. That sperm that comes, it's not getting, it's not coming to fruition. It's not the way God wanted. And then you also think of abortion, and this is a it's very triggering topic, but you got to kind of wonder, like, is that sacrifice at a certain level? Why, where, how is sacrifice happening these days? Because I, it's not stopped. Like, you kind of have that yeah. awakening that you look, why would they have stopped sacrificing people just all of a sudden now, over oh, so enlightened now and everything's so wonderful? Or has evil disguised itself as good today? Yeah, yeah. Well, the interesting, those are all really interesting thoughts, and I agree with them. Um, I'm, you'll see anybody that reads my book, you'll see that I'm definitely on the page that these entities are not good entities. Um, 
And I've I've seen pushback from people that say, well, exactly what they've told you is like, hey, my entities were good. I had good experiences. I got wisdom. I got this. I got that. And my pushback that I've I've had on that is human beings. You you run into a bad human being. That bad human being can do a long con of you, right? So, like, if I wanted to trick you, the first thing I did, if I really wanted to take you for all your money, first thing I would do is not like yell and scream at you. First thing I'd do is I'd be really nice to you. I'd mow your lawn. I'd uh, help you out. I'd help you with your homework. I'd like you know whatever you needed to do. I'd I'd help you out. You need a ride to the hospital. You need help when your mom's sick. I'll help you with your mom's sick. So like all those stuff I do. And then one day when you're in a big hurry, I'd say, hey, I'll get the money out of your bank. Let me just give me your ATM card. I'll grab it for you. I'll bring it right back. And you say, okay, here's the ATM card. And then I run to the bank and you never see me again. Right. And I've got, you know, $100,000 of your dollar money or whatever. And that's that's a human being that's not even that smart can trick people. That happens. People get scammed. People get long cons all the time. You don't think that a demon that's been around for a million years that has knowledge that's much higher than ours, you don't think they can <laughs> trick you? You, you, th- you don't think that like your first couple of trips aren't going to seem really like they're really intelligent and nice and thoughtful? Of course they are. And yeah. so I think it's really dangerous for us to say, well, uh, my demon was nice. Well, like, how do you know? How do you know it was nice or not nice? Like, how, how do you know what it was getting at? And you kind of touched on this with your own personal experiences where, um, you know, initially everything seems like the right direction. Everything seems like it's pushing you in the right direction. And then it's only later that you're like, holy crap, dude. like every direction that it pushed me turned out bad. And and um, I think that's something that we need to People need to recognize yeah. um, on that front. On the abortion thing, I know that's a triggering topic, but yeah. one interesting thing for people to know is that Margaret Sanger, who founded uh, yeah, Planned, Planned Parenthood, Parenthood yep. um, the largest abortion provider in the U.S., she founded that with her mentor, um, a guy named Havlock Ellis, who was a pioneer in the psychedelic realm, as well as really into the occult. And he helped her set up uh, Planned Parenthood and um, also wrote in depth on, on mescaline and, and other psychedelic trips. One of the one of the earliest guys in the psychedelic movement. Yeah, I read that in your book that that, that her teammate or this guy was in doing mushrooms. And, and isn't Margaret Sanger, am I wrong on this? Kind of a little bit of a eugenicist a little bit or like had like she was big about... into eugenics. Yeah, yeah, she was big into eugenics. So was had like Ellis. So were a lot of those people back then. Yeah, um, it, yeah. That's it's that's that's a tough tough thing to swallow. There, it's it's you know it's it's it it's crazy. Um, and and you know like talking about the psychedelics too, and just people saying, oh, it's a great experience, and you get all this wisdom and all this information. Well, this is what happened to me. I like I, I it's embarrassing, but I have to say these things because it's a warning to people. When I started like really accelerating my awakening in 2020, and practicing magic opening circles when I took the psychedelics um, and these spirits were really coming then they were really coming sometimes there'd be like eight of them that would come in a trip different ones and give me information and stuff and they started showing me my past lives 
And my experiences were wild. I'd have my eyes open, be in my backyard, tripping, and with my eyes open, start seeing flashes of all these other things, like a TV movie screen. So real, you want to believe it. I had never been a believer in past lives before that. All of a sudden, I'm a believer in past lives. I had never been a believer in aliens. All of a sudden, I saw what looked like a gray alien come out of my friend's head. I'm a believer in aliens now. Um, Then I start listening to other channelers and connecting with other people that were doing what I was doing. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I think I might be a Galactic Federation member. I had a spirit jump in my body when I was tripping. And it literally spoke through me and told my friend, this is Kara's a Galactic Federation member. Look, she's a member of the Orion Council of the Light. This is insanity. Now I can see it's insanity. I literally, for like six months, I really feel like I kind of started going insane. And like I say aliens, I'm like, come on, that means a foreign unknown thing. I'm a believer that these aliens are demons and spirits and they're pushing this movement right now and popularizing it so that these demons can come in here and everyone's like, yay, the aliens are here. They're here to assist humanity. Ha! This is the danger. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very true. There's an interesting book called The UFO Deception by Father Spiridion Bailey. I don't know if you read that, but it's a lot of what you were saying sounds like it matches what he wrote in that book, which was basically that, that, you know, with the UFOs, some of it is the government just goofing, you know, like using it to cover up their there's uh, special flights and that kind of stuff. But he touches on the fact that a lot of it can't be explained that way. And a lot of it clearly has parallels with demon possession and all that stuff and um that his basic takeaway is like be hyper careful about ufo stuff because it's got a lot of the same downsides that we've been talking about with psychedelics or with eastern mysticism or whatever yeah no absolutely um i'm I'm just not really like trusting much of what i see in the mainstream anymore i I realized that discordians are running the world and they worship Eris, this goddess of chaos. It's just it's order out of chaos here, but they need the chaos. And we're, what a great place to get chaos, but to get everybody to do psychedelics and have these experiences. We all go into the mind programming lab of the spirit world. And then the spirit world can, like you said, these are ancient energies or spirits or whatever they are, that they're smart. That they're watching us. They know what to say to us. I mean, when I worked as a, as a psychic channeler, I like to say it's like nine truths and a lie. They'll tell you things like somebody's birthday or the thing that happened or the thing that that nobody else knows. They tell you. You tell them and they're like, whoa, their eyes are open wide. Like, wow, this is amazing. But then they drop in something like past lives. And me as a believer in Christ, I don't believe in past lives anymore. And honestly, I never did before, even when I wasn't. It was only for this short time because I started seeing what I thought were past lives. And then I started channeling past lives and it's these little lies that get dropped into the mix that I think are the real dangerous seeds that get planted. And then all of a sudden your beautiful garden is just rotten. Yeah. Yep. And it's the, the, there's a knowledge there and a skill there that I think people, um, you know, the old phrase, um, fools rush in where angels fear to tread, um, is a very relevant phrase for this where people think they can control this. Like they think they can do microdosing or they think they can be discerning when it comes to what they're told with these spiritual experiences. Um, and I, I just, I feel like you just said there's seeds dropping and like you, you don't want to expose yourself to it or you don't want, it's just a dangerous place to be. Like God closing the garden, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I I feel like we, we need to 
respect the wall to the garden. You know, yeah. like we need to, you know, not not step in or not try and force our way through that. Yeah. And it's interesting too because I really connected like I, I one of the things I learned about as I was waking up was was trauma-based mind control. Um, you know, and I was like, trauma-based mind control, wait, oh, everybody's traumatized. And then we all disassociate. And then in our disassociation, this programming is placed in perfectly. And then we we change in whatever way. Well, I started realizing like, where's the trauma coming from? I think the trauma might be coming from the spirit world and like the way it's manipulating society. And then like the disassociation is either like the pills or the pharmacy, the, the psychedelics or the meditation or whatever method somebody's using to, to kind of disassociate. And then they just drop those lies in there. And it just, um, yeah, it really kind of like uh, woke me up to the fact that in the kind of new age realm where self-help and people ever searching to heal. And I was in that for a long time. I mean, I'm telling you, I went to rehab. I did. I could list off again. Ayahuasca, pills, like therapy, all this stuff. Endless, never healed. It was like an endless merry-go-round looking and looking and searching and searching. And everybody is doing that. And even like you mentioned your friend who lived in a commune with like these kind of like enlightened people and then horrible stuff happens well when i was in that community too i was like i kind of stepped out of it i was like these people in this healing community are like the most messed up traumatized lost people i know craziest thing ever is i'm going to church these days to a very basic church it's very grounded i read the bible and i feel really good and like god's giving me these simple words that are changing my life and it's like you just kind of you 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 look at it it's very interesting that how, you know how how lost we can get in the complex path of ever searching and never finding the truth. Yeah, the truth. there's that there's that phrase that's uh, beware of unearned wisdom, and I feel like that's kind of what psychedelics offer is just hey, you wise out of the gate, you know, take this and like you're all of a sudden this enlightened person. When I think the truly enlightened people are usually like some old grandma from your church or whatever who's like truly dealt with difficult times and dealt with good times, dealt with people that backstabbed her, dealt with people that were good to her, uh, had an opportunity to be good to other people, unfortunately did wrong by other people. And you learn from all that. And if you do it in such a way that every step of the way you're, you're seeking and prayerfully seeking improvement, and then you'll truly be enlightened. But it comes from the battle wounds, right? Like it comes from all the shots that life gives you over time. You don't get it from a pill and you don't get it from LSD and you don't get it from DMT. You get it from the the ups and downs, the roller coaster of life and the, the goods and bads that you go through over the course of your lifetime. And you, every gray hair you get um, really adds to that wisdom. If you're paying attention, if you're not foolish, be throwing all that out but if you're prayerfully and and wisely paying attention that's where true enlightenment comes from absolutely and i think a, a big part of why people go to psychedelics is for happiness i want to be happy i'm not happy i need a micro guess what guys i don't think we're supposed to be happy every second could we have happiness if we didn't understand sadness y- you know what i'm saying it's interesting one of the happiness is an interesting thing um a lot of times people think like it's a scientific thing. You say, well, 
sometimes you'll see like who are the happiest countries in the world and people will say sweden or whatever and and they'll point that out but if you actually think about what happiness is it's incredibly hard to define right like if i did a survey with you right now and i said how happy are you one to ten you might say seven or whatever and if i went out into um the jungles and i found some soldiers fighting you know for their country or whatever and i asked them for give a poll they might do one out of ten right like they're really difficult time at the time um i go and i find some guy on the beach you know maybe with a drink in his hand and a beautiful woman by his side and he says 10 out of 10 right um but then there's like this question is that real happiness should you do that every day like if 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 he did that every day would he at the end of his life lay down his head and say i lived a happy life or would the soldier who put one on there but saved his country fought alongside of his friends did something purposeful and and that achieved great things he maybe suffered the rest of his life maybe he died in that war and he lays his head down for his last breath and he says that was happiness happiness was doing what i was supposed to do so happiness isn't a scientific thing happiness is is very difficult to define and that's where it's very risky for us to say like i just want to be happy like a lot of people say that i'm just i want to be happy or i want my kids to be happy or whatever yeah. and it's like be careful with that because you don't know what it means yeah. and it's very difficult for us to define what it means yeah i i feel like the treasure is much greater to find joy in your trials and tribulations and your ups and downs and understanding that everything is given to you for a reason and you may not understand it at that moment but like you said earlier when people are like oh the psychedelics told me to quit my job and i'm just going to do it but it's like wait but quitting that job but three months on the road god's like wait i didn't want you to quit that job because i saw what's going to happen down here and you can't see that as again don't lean on your own understanding uh yeah, yeah. Uh, i wanted to talk to you a little bit about dimensions before we um end this conversation which i can't believe how quickly time's going by i'm having so much fun talking to you um you talk a little bit about dimensions in your book and the concept of dimensions and i just on a personal note just wanted to say like that's something i experienced and learned from what I did these psychedelics was I was like, oh, everything comes to you. We don't actually go anywhere. It just exposes itself to you, the different dimensions. It's almost like what you, I know you said this kind of in different ways throughout your book, like we can't actually see everything right now. And it, that would tie into two that God didn't want us to see that. But then we'd have the psychedelics all of a sudden we're like able to see this stuff. I kind of want to ask if you could explain a little bit about what you think the dimensions are and how you think that that works. Yeah. So I start off, by the way, my book, we've talked a lot about religion, but I really kind of wrote my book from a secular standpoint, not necessarily intent, not that I'm secular necessarily, but the point was I wanted anybody to be able to read it regardless of what, um, what their faith is or what lack of faith or whatever. And I think, I think it does that. But so I start off just talking about kind of scientific ideas of dimensions. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that um, like quantum physics speculates there's up to 10 different dimensions, right? There's different. Um, one of the things that makes the math work for our universe in terms of all the all the physical matter and why things move the way they do is something called dark matter. Um, they think dark matter might be in a different dimension, right? Um, and uh, there's this idea that there's these spaces to this world that we can't see into. Um, and, uh, illustration that I use in my book is imagine having a straw, a real thin straw, and I point it so that only the dot 
only the end of it is your direction. Well, you wouldn't necessarily be able to see the straw. And if it was real small, you wouldn't be able to see it at all. Um, but if I turned it sideways, you'd see, hey, it could be a really big straw, right? It could be be large. So it's not necessarily the fact that you can't see into it doesn't mean there's nothing in it or it doesn't mean there's nothing there. It just means you can't see into it. So that's a, that's a pure like scientific physical uh, physics statement about dimensions. And then I talk, touched on the fact that that matches exactly with almost every religion that there's ever been, where almost every religion talks about the fact that there's these entities that live in other dimensions, they visit us, they can come, they can go, they can disappear. Um, sometimes we can astral project, sometimes we can step outside of our body, but ultimately there's these different dimensions that we step into. And I touched on the fact that even Christianity talks about that. So even within Christendom, um, like N.T. Wright, Oxford scholar, Anglican bishop, talks about the fact that um, heaven, if if defined properly, is a different dimension. It's not a place. Sometimes we think, oh, you go to heaven, and we we picture maybe being on a different planet or something somewhere. But he says a better way to look at it is a different dimension, where it's all around us. It's all it's there. We just can't see it. Um, and um, so when it comes to the dimensions as a whole, I think there's an interesting overlap between science and religion. Um, and I I feel like with a lot of this stuff, the more the more you look into it, the more every, all the pieces fit together. You know what I mean? If you're you're doing a a, a puzzle, like a, a jigsaw puzzle, and none of the pieces fit, then you probably got the picture wrong. But like I feel like if everything starts fitting together, it's you're probably doing something right. And I've I felt like when I started to look at the kind of the scientific and comparing that to philosophical and theological ideas on, on the subject, um, this idea of multiple dimensions, some of which that we can't see into, just kind of made sense of everything. And um, and I I think that, you know, kind of like we were talking about before in terms of God blinding us to those other dimensions. I do think he did that. I do think there's something about our brain that doesn't allow us to see into those dimensions, doesn't allow us to fully experience those unless we do drugs, unless we, you know, practice mediumship or practice, you know, certain religions. But I think for the most part, we we just can't see into those. But it doesn't mean they're not there. It doesn't mean those entities aren't there. And, you know, people talk about a guardian angel. Well, that's possible. You know, you could have an entity nearby you all the time looking out for you. Um, but people talk about being demon possessed and having deep that's possible also. And it's just the fact that we can't see them like atheists are like, well, show me, you know, show them to me or whatever. Yeah. Well, the fact that you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Just like even from an atheist perspective, they acknowledge there's these other dimensions, but you, they can't see dark matter. Or yeah. Whatever. It's like, be careful what you wish for too, because like me, you're going to, you'll go and you'll see these things. And it's, it's wild. Like that, I don't even know how to describe some of the things I've experienced or seen. And then you've got these people that like talk about doing their micro dosing and it's just fine. I'm just fine. Yeah. Just wait. You're hopefully you're lucky and you'll never go to the depth that I saw because it's crazy. And like, I mean, I literally, I have a chapter in my book called contact where I practiced, was practicing magic in 2020 and literally called in a spirit and it came and it mind melded with me completely. And I shot out of my body when I astro projected and I, what I got was 
I suddenly felt like I was laying on a ship. Like, uh, like it looked like, like, a, like a, it literally looked like, like Space Odyssey, like a 2001 Space Odyssey kind of. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm laying on this table and all of a sudden I can see behind me, even though I'm laying on the table and there's this giant gray brain and I'm attached to it because I was mind melding. But what happened was the instant I saw this, I shot back to my body. And of course, you know, I said, oh my gosh, I just had an alien abduction just happened to me. Oh, wow. Blah, blah. No, like the spirit world, I have asked it multiple times. I'm like, it just kind of told me it will show you things the way it makes sense to you. So I wasn't actually on a ship. That wasn't an alien that took me. That was a an unknown spirit, a demon, and I went to another dimension, and that's what I saw because they will show you what they want to show you. But I, after having that experience, now if anybody wants to try telling me that someone was beamed up by an alien or or had this alien ex- abduction i'm like nah the spirit world got them the spirit world took them to another dimension and through the power that they have in their magic they made them believe that 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 it's this thing but no i really think it's just these different dimensions that come to us in a way that we can't even describe i don't even know how to say it but it, it you don't go anywhere it, it it's it's all in the these expansions in the mind yeah yeah Yep. And I, I think that makes so much, that's another one of those things that like makes so much sense of everything. It fits, it helps everything fit together. And, um, really, I think in the end, all of that working together, it's, I feel like there's, um, a giant kind of theory of everything that religion figured out 2000 years ago that we're just kind of catching up with today. Um, and hopefully it won't be too late. I mean, my my concern with a lot of this stuff is like a hundred years ago, psychedelics, Eastern mysticism, all this stuff in American and Western culture was unheard of. And now it's like the norm. Now there's like 14 yoga places. As I walk downtown Ann Arbor, like you can't you trip over a yoga place and then trip over a marijuana place, right? Like every single that's what we're going. So Hopefully that Pandora's box hasn't opened to the point where we can't get it shut again. It might have, but you know what? I kind of feel like God's in control and he's got a plan that's bigger than what we can know. Because like part of me at first is like, I got to warn everybody about all this stuff. And I'm yelling out, trying to evangelize. Like, I said, I know about Jesus. And all this. And it's just like, Kara, stop right now. Like God's got this. He's playing it out for a reason. Even when I fell into like the new age mindset where let's bring new earth here. Let's reconnect the ley lines and let's fix this place. It's like, I don't think we need to fix this place. I actually kind of think that like this is all playing out because this is how it's supposed to. And it's, it's gonna, I just have a feeling it's gonna get worse. But those with eyes to see and ears to hear are going to get the message that they need. And, um, you know, I really personally believe that there's one way out of here. And that was the last place I looked and that, that was Jesus to God. That's just my belief. Um, but there's definitely something going on here. Um, and psychedelics are absolutely to be questioned. Like you said earlier about in the eighties, if all of the, would you say that the communists were all like buying digging equipment or whatever, we'd all wonder, well, Hey, it's really interesting that all of a sudden they're like 40 new patents put out by the pharmaceutical companies to recreate these psychedelics in their, um, petroleum based form, you know, like I, I don't know. It was in the Davos, last Davos uh, conference, all about psychedelics. It's just like when it becomes mainstream, I'm kind of like, uh, maybe I'm going to go and buy that land out in the country now and get my farm going and just kind of like ride this out. <laughs> yeah, head, for, head for the hills. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so, Lewis, this has been so much fun talking to you. Um, thank you so much for writing this book. This is a blessing, truly, for the world. And I think it's going to get into the hands of more and more people as time continues to progress because they're going to need this and they're they're going to want this information. And I also want to tell people about your Substack if they want to like not just buy your book to support you, but join your Substack. Uh, you had you just put out an article like on the CIA and the occult and how magic and science are twins, and you're starting to talk about AI and very interesting stuff. It's almost like I love the progression that you're thinking is going to because it's the same as mine. I'm I'm I've got my eyes on AI now, and I'm trying to figure out what are they doing with this and what how is the occult woven itself into everything and and you're on to all that and so that's that's really awesome, but. So if you have any kind of final words, you want to let the listeners know where to find you and how to support you? Sure. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun and very interesting. And uh, wow, you get an amazing story. So it's really interesting. Good for me to hear that. So um, yeah, they can find me. The Substack is Lewis Unget. Uh, Lewis is spelled with an E. So L-E-W-I-S-U-N-G-I-T dot Substack dot com. Um, all the articles you were just talking about, as well as some additional chapters for the Return of the Dragon that um, I posted that didn't make the first edition of the book, might make a second edition so people can check that out. Um, I'm writing a lot on technology and science right now as well. Um, and then, um, yeah, just check out my book. I hope you guys read it. And um, it's um, just been a blessing to have written this book. And I I feel like someone mentioned the other day of like how, what an important message is. And I feel like it's like definitely not about me at all. Like, I just feel like this message, whether it's coming from Kara or coming from me or coming from whoever, like this message needs to get out there because I think people are just sleepwalking right now. They're just taking it as like, oh, we're just legalizing drugs. That's good. Or we're just, like just, gonna do i could have a beer on sunday night or do ayahuasca and something like it's just like you know people are sleepwalking into this like it's normal and i think i think we as a whole just there needs to be a warning out there so hopefully my book offers that warning and uh, i try and price it really cheap so people can check it out you know it's i think three bucks or something for the kindle version so you know you can't lose just go out and check it out and and get it but anyway thanks again for having me on like this was uh this was great thank you so much i could talk to you for like 10 more hours so i'd love to have you back on the show any anytime anytime. and thank you for being my friend and thank you again for this book and i can't wait for your next one all right thanks so much everybody thank you for listening to us and thank you for being our friends 